First Thessalonians chapter one and verse ten. Um, this one begins in the middle of a sentence. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray for your special teaching, Lord God, your special touch, your special anointing, that your Holy Spirit would teach us, Lord. And again, like so many times, we pray for your illuminating um, wisdom, Father, that you'd open our hearts and our eyes and our ears so that we can see and hear and understand and be converted, and you should heal us, Lord God. We ask that you would touch us from on, on high, Lord God. Give us power, give us understanding, give us wisdom, give us unction, give us utterance. Anoint your word, Father, and use it in Jesus' name and for Christ's sake. Amen. Now, um, here we looked at the idols of verse 9 yesterday. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And as we wrapped up um, yesterday, looking at those idols, like to just touch on some of that by way of review, because we were, we were so hurried trying to get so many scriptures through. We talked about how in America, our idols look a little different than in other countries. I could show you a picture this morning of a African fetish of a little squat man. They made this little idol of a squat little man, and it's uh, made out of ebony, so it's a dark, dark, dark color, and it has great big horn out of the front center of its skull, and it has little horns all around it, and he has weird shapes on his face and pokey things all over him him and the and the people that would worship those devils would actually bow down to that little uh, ugly idol now how come you didn't get born in a family that does that you can't explain that we'll just throw that in for free and you can all say thank you jesus that we don't have terrifying idols and witch doctors who keep us in fear and in bondage and um, oppression and that we were born into a free place that's only god's choice that god could do that into a place where you can learn the bible um, i thank god that he did that for me as well that i was not born into a family of idolatry but into a family that had the word of god now, American idols are music stars, public figures, um, TV stars, movie stars. Um, they're, um, these public figures might be like a news anchor, somebody that's seen regularly on TV or something. There's Money is an American idol. Many people worship the American dollar. Now, when Japan, which was an idolatrous nation, only they worshipped their ancestors. And they would, um, years and years ago, the main religion of Japan was ancestor worship and they worshipped their, their fathers and their mothers that had gone on before them. And so they would um, give do sacrifices and, and put up oblations, and they would have a room full of trinkets and little figures that would remind them of their grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents, and they would go and worship and pray before these little trinkets in the names of their grandparents and their great-grandparents, and they would pray to their family that had died before them. And they were so disenchanted with their religion at the, at the close of World War II as a nation that many in Japan turned from their idols, but they did not turn to serve the living God, as our text says here, by and large. Some of them did. We read about, um, we um, didn't read about, I shared the story of a missionary that was um, there in a Japanese labor camp in the Guineas, in the, um, there in the Second World War. 
and how that some of those Japanese there, some of her captors, even the commander of her labor camp, turned from his false religion to Christ to serve the living God and later became a preacher of Jesus Christ and of righteousness in his homeland of Japan. And praise God for that. But many of the Japanese people um, did not turn from idols to God. Instead, they turned to another idol. One man, if I remember the story right, when my dad was over in Japan, um, shortly after my dad got saved, um, he was in the military in Japan, and he was talking to some people about the Lord. And if I remember this story right, maybe it wasn't him that this that said this to that had this discussion, but it was someone there. This Japanese man was speaking to him or to one of his friends there, and he, the Japanese man said, "After World War II, we knew that our idols could not were not strong enough, and we needed a new God." And we asked America because America had defeated us. And, we, and he said, we were, we were such a proud people and we had been defeated. And when we were defeated, we wanted missionaries to come and tell us about the God of America. And he says, America didn't send missionaries. America sent us money. And the man rubbed his fingers together and he, like he was rubbing money. And he says, now money is our God in Japan. Isn't that a heartbreaking story? That's a heartbreaking story. When a country was ready to receive the gospel, um, instead of getting missions, we sent money. What a sad story. But America, um, to a large degree, worships money, worships prestige, worships social status. And as we said yesterday, ultimately, self is the God of America. Lovers of their own selves, lovers of pleasure rather than God. Um, serving not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, the Bible says. And again, in Philippians 3.18, it deals with this concept of serving the, their own belly instead of God. We talked about how the Word of God says, love not the world neither the things that are in the world if any man love the world the love of the father is not in him um, Philippians 3 verse 18 says for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame who mind earthly things uh, now this is um this is evidenced in America by the use of our time and our resources, the giving of our attention. What we spend our time on will reveal to us what our idols are. Now, worship involves every work of the flesh. The human body is the greatest idol of America, and the human body is given over to every, um, every lust of the flesh, just depending on what your flavor is, what you like best in this nation. You're supposed to have the right to it. Um, we've gone from where where our forefathers once said that everyone, every man is um, created equal by their creator with certain inalienable rights, and those inalienable rights are the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We've changed that to life, um, license, and the pursuit of the flesh. And that's now the new Constitution of the United States of America. It's the unsaid Constitution. Well, we still have the founding documents that guaranteed us right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, 
These have been completely usurped by the new humanistic doctrine of life, lasciviousness, and pursuit of the flesh. And that is now the new God of America, the new religion of America, is the religion of humanism, the worship of humankind, the worship of mankind, the worship of human achievement, the worship of feelings and lusts and desires and unfettered desire. This is the natural consequence of throwing out the word of God and teaching the, um, the lie of evolution that man has evolved from nothing, that there is no creator God. The new God of America is the God of science, the God of nothing. Um, he's an ephemeral God. He hides in the shadows today, but he's going to come out of the shadows someday, and his images are already being seen all over the land, um, it's, but they're all masked and hidden, and soon, as we observed yesterday soon the demonology in this land will be unleashed because of the false gods and false idols that are being worshipped we are living currently in america on the blessings of our forefathers of our forebears who worshipped god who believed the word of god who taught the bible to their children who won with their blood with their sweat and with their tears and with their prayers on their knees they won freedom from oppression and freedom from tyranny, even for people who um, disagree with the way that they got it. They still gave them liberty and they gave them life and the pursuit of happiness as, as a biblical standard that all men are created equal and have these inalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And no one has the, res- the right to take that from another individual. Now, the humanist has a different ideal. The humanist is nothing more than a self-lover, a self-worshipper whose God is his belly, and he believes that he knows what's best for for everyone else's life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness and redefines it. So we have a new God, a new idolatry, a new religion in America that has taken over uh, much of the nation. And while many people claim to worship God, humanism has crept into the churches. Humanism has crept into mission work. Whereas now where once the gospel of Jesus Christ was the driving force of mission work, now the betterment of humanity and social good and social justice have become the new driving force of mission work. And you cannot hardly run a mission anywhere in this world anymore unless you are going to at least tip your hat to the humanists and do some major social planning and social betterment um, projects. And without that, you're probably not going to get very far in this world in missions because that's the new missions of the new world. The Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. To love the world and the things that are in the world is idolatry. Jesus Christ said to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. I always end up combining the two passages. He said three things. I usually say four because he says heart in one passage and soul in another passage. But he says to love the Lord thy God. It's in Luke, I think, chapter 10, if you want to look it up for me. is one of the references so we can get it right. But in any case, to love the Lord with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength... And the Bible tells us, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, there are idols of the heart. Ezekiel 17, I believe it is, tells us this and shows us that there are idols of the heart. You can have a shrine in your heart full of idols. The idols in your heart for modern Christianity, for fundamentalists and evangelicals, the modern idols have been the family. Um, With the advent of the 
of a great emphasis on teaching our children the word of God, which is a wonderful thing. We have shifted our allegiance and our time from Christ to our families and as such have set up our families as idols. Now, Matthew twenty two thirty seven says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul and all thy mind. Matthew 12, Mark twelve thirty says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and all thy mind. And then Luke 10, 7 also says heart and soul and mind. So um, all three of those references give that. Now, of course, you, the search you gave me there had those three words. Have love the Lord thy God, and we'll pull up the other reference. Uh, the, so this church in Thessalonica had turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. The idols that they turned from were obvious idols. They were statues that people bowed down to and lit incense to and made sacrifices to. But the idols of America are not so obviously idols. Some of the most dangerous idols, as we were just mentioning, are the idols of the heart. You can have family idolatry. You can place a higher degree of love and and time and attention on your family than on the Lord Jesus Christ. What was that? All right, so Mark 12, 30 says, Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. So that's all four of them there. Luke 10, 27, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. So these four areas are the four areas of idolatry um, in this world. The area of the heart is the spiritual place. We are to believe in our heart, the Lord Jesus. Now, people make a mistake here and think that believing in the heart means believing with your soul, with your mind, your will, and your emotions, and it's deeper than your soul. The soul is, part of the soul is the mind, and that's listed there. Um, with all the, and the Bible clearly says there with your heart and with your soul. There is a difference between the heart and the soul. Now the mind then is that ruling part of the soul. The heart is deeper than the soul and the soul is that which expresses the heart through the body. Now did you follow that today? I didn't quite follow that, so I hope you got it. Anyway, this is this stuff's hard to really get a strong grasp on. You just have to read the Bible and get the clues that you can get and try and get a good understanding of it from the Word of God. But there the Bible says all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. And these four areas are areas of idolatry. The most important area is your heart. The, the, the spirit of a man, little s. There is a spirit in man, the Bible says. It says the spirit of a man will sustain his, inf- his infirmity. That's a little lowercase s. The spirit is deeper than the soul. The spirit is that heart of the man. The soul in the Bible um, is, the, the Bible says, if there be any bowels of mercies, fulfill ye my joy. And so the bowels then represent the emotions. The mind is in your head. The bowels are, represent your emotions. The will is something somehow tied in there with the heart and the heart deeper than all of them is the spirit the will has to do with strength that's right boy is this confusing or what 
listen, this is this stuff, I don't have it all figured out. We're just trying to go with what the Bible says and work through it. But in any case, the will is, um, as my wife just um, pointed out here, the will does have to do with the strength of the body. The will is that part deep within you that gets you to run an extra mile whenever everything else is saying, no, you can't. And the will ties in with your strength and with your body. So here you have your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. Um, ultimately, these areas make up you. They make up the person that's sitting here today. They make up the person that's listening to this podcast, however confused they may be by now. I hope you're not too confused. Lord, help us to, to know um, your word, to know the truth. The truth will make us free. But these make up the you. Your body is governed, your moves, and has its movement by the uh, by the strength of your will, the emotions within your soul, your bowels, um, your mind, also part of the soul that is within you, and your so your mind, your will, and your emotions, your soul, those parts of the man must be free from idols in order to serve the living God. The heart must be free from idols. Our idols on the outside are not as important as the idols on the inside and not as deadly. Idolatry begins on the inside and then works its way outside. People don't just walk down the road and go, Oh my, look at that giant tree over there. We should carve a bunch of faces on it and fall down and worship it. They begin with an idolatrous heart and then it moves over into idolatrous actions. Okay, so moving on from there, this church at Thessalonica had turned to God from idols to serve the living God. So their turning then involves the heart, the soul, the mind, the strength to love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. He says here, and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. Now, whenever you go to serve idols, you give them attention. You give them time, and you give them resources. The great altar of Baal in the United States of America, the TV, um, is, has now been surpassed by the smaller but more prolific altars of the high places. The cell phones and the computers erected on every corner of quote-unquote Jerusalem, um, streets and under every green tree and on every hill, these places, these high places, these altars are then the scene of idolatry all across our land. The idolatry of covetousness. Covetousness has at its roots idolatry. The first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me, is is the strongest commandment that God gave. The first commandment, the last commandment, thou shalt not covet, basically encompasses all the other commandments. As the pastor said the other day, you cannot break the other commandments without coveting. If you don't covet, you won't steal. If you don't covet, you won't commit adultery. If you don't covet you will have no other god before you but god so the coveting then deals with the inner heart turning away from god to things to people to places to events did you know that you can make an idol out of your country you can make an idol out of your flag and i have seen it and i believe honestly that it has killed a lot of fundamentalism in america where the flag of the united states of america has become a symbol to be venerated and where people will stand and weep precious tears as somebody plays the national anthem and they hold up the flag of the united states of america it <laughs> excuse me 
and they'll weep their tears over a patriotic zeal for their country. But then whenever they hear the preacher preach about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and his death and burial and resurrection to save us from our sins, they can sit there stone-faced like a wooden carving of an Indian, as they call them, wooden Indians, um, as you can go out and buy just as, as stuck and solid and unmovable and unemotional as a wood carving of an Indian chief. And they'll sit there unmovable, whereas they were just weeping when the national anthem was played. This is a problem. This record, this shows you idolatry. Now, idols get all the attention, they get all the time, and they get all the resources. The Thessalonican church turned from idols to serve the living God. Manifest evidence of your allegiance is who gets your attention, who gets your time, who gets your resources. What gets your attention, what gets your time, what gets your resources. To turn from idols to serve God. God means that no longer do the things of this world that we're told not to love get your time, your attention, and your resources. You say, well, I would be in church, but I've, I can meet with God out here on the fishing boat. Well, I've got news for you. You've just betrayed your idol. Your idol is yourself, and the means of your worship of yourself is the fishing boat and your fishing rod and your fishing reel, and you give oblations of your time and of your money and of your resources to your rod and your reel, just like the Bible talks about whenever it says that the Chaldeans would sacrifice to their nets and to their tackle. And I believe that was Habakkuk that accused him of that and said, God, why would you bless these people? They worship their nets and their tackle, but we worship you. And God told, God told Habakkuk, it's going to get worse than you think. You're misunderstanding. You better get back in your quiet place and get right with me. Your heart's not right towards me. Go stand up. And he says, I will stand upon my watch and see what the Lord will say to me when I am reproved and reproved God did. Now, um, you say that you love God, but you go to the baseball game on Wednesday night instead of taking your family to prayer meeting. You are betraying your idolatry. You are showing to the world what is most important to you. You are showing to your children what is most important to you. And everybody around you knows what has the preeminence in your life. Whenever people come and they ask of you the hope that lieth within you, and they look up into your eyes and they see a man that calls himself a in a Christian, a Christian, they say, um, what's your favorite thing to do? And you say, oh, I love to go hunting. I love to go out hunting. And you just missed an opportunity to share with them the hope of the glory of Christ and betrayed to the whole world your idolatry. Whenever you go to work and people say, have you seen this show? And you go off in a great big long monologue about how much you love that show and about your favorite characters. And pretty soon everybody's chiming in and you're ooing and awing over the, over the characters that you think are particularly cute or particularly handsome. And everybody's getting into the conversation and you spend half of your work day talking about these movie characters and TV stars and at the end of the day you go home leaving behind you a workplace full of co-workers who know nothing of your supposed faith in Jesus Christ. You have showed the world who your God is. You have showed the world who your idols are. You have showed the world that Jesus Christ means something to you on Sunday morning when you go to church for the convenience of your cultural Christianity but that the 
reality of your worship is not found in the church house and it's not found in the word of God. It's found before your altar of bell, the TV or your cell phone or your computer where you download all your videos and on your YouTube and Hulu and um, all these other devices that they have available now to stream movies. You're betraying the reality of who you serve. Now, I know you try to make up for it. You go to the Temple of Baal on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and you get up and worship at the Temple of Baal first thing in the morning, and then you go to church Sunday morning after worshiping at the Temple of Baal, and you come back home from the church service and share this live stream on your on your computer there on Facebook, and then you go right back into that Baal worship and start serving with your time, with your attention, with all your desire, with all your soul with all your strength with all your might serving the world and the love of the world there you are on pinterest pinning this pinning that pinning the other thing there you are looking at realtor.com scrolling through all these houses that might be the next house that you can own there you go looking at the new carvana or whatever it is searching through a list of cars that you like and which one you might want to get and your time and your energy and your effort goes to the things of the world and not to god your bible sits idly by. Now then your conscience might prick you and you might begin to realize your error. So what do you do then? You go on Facebook and you find a Bible verse with a fancy picture behind it and you post it so everybody can like it. And then you can feel good about yourself because you offered your little oblation to God. And right back to the temple of Baal you go. And that is the condition of America. The Thessalonican church turned from idols to serve the living God. Do you see? Turning from idols in and of itself doesn't mean anything it's who you turn to from the idols that means everything because if you turn from one idol and you don't turn to the living God to serve the living God, you will begin to worship another idol. Human nature demands a God to worship. Humans cannot live without a God. You have to have a God. It's part of your soul. It's part of the makeup of your very inner being that you need something to worship. Humans do not and cannot find fulfillment in life without something to worship. Either you will worship yourself, your own body, your own achievements, your own belly, your own appetites, your own fitness, your own personal image, your own prestige, your own career, or you will worship another's career. And many people take their children and set them up on idolatrous pedestals and they worship their children and they pour their life and their money and their time and their energy into their children to make them better ball players to make them get a better degree in college, to have a better chance at life. And they take them on vacation and they pay for the best schooling and they spend all their time pouring their time and their energy and their service into the lives of their children. And what they have done is made idols out of their children. This is the idolatry that is wrecking the United States of America. Manifest evidence of your allegiance is who or what gets your attention. Who or what gets your time. Who or what gets your resources. Our text here in verse 10 says, And to wait for his son from heaven. Serving and waiting are nearly synonymous. I know that waiting, often we think of being bored. Whenever we think of waiting and having to just sit here. If I said, all right, you all, you just sit here and wait and I walked out of the room for two hours and came back how many of you would be bored out of your mind 
absolutely bored out of your mind, and I don't blame you. That is not how the Bible uses wait whenever it talks about waiting on the Lord. And we've preached on this before on the subject of waiting on the Lord. But whenever you're waiting on the Lord, this carries with it the idea of being a servant of the Lord. And we're going to look at that in a little bit more in Psalm 123. Get your Bibles ready. Uh, We'll go there here in a minute. I want to tell you a little story. This is a story that the devil hates. Um, because it exposes him, it backfired on him. He didn't want this story to get out, and yet it did. There was a pagan village up between Burma and China in the mountains there. I believe that's the Himalayan mountain range, but I could be wrong. And this village was up there where they had had, they had, had no contact with people for thousands of years other than other mountain villages, their immediate neighbors, and only rare contact with any of those. These, these people were right on the border of China and Burma. And so they knew a little bit of the dialects that were more towards the Burmese and a little bit more of the dialects that were more towards Chinese, but they didn't really speak Burmese or Chinese. And so nobody really spoke their language. They could just communicate just a little bit with the tribes in the next little valley, in the next little mountain valley um, on the one side, and a little bit with the tribes on the mountain valley on the other side, but they couldn't really communicate with anybody else. They had no real outside contacts. There was no trade route going through the villages. Nobody ever went by. They were on the end of the world as far as they were concerned and as far as the rest of the world was concerned. Probably since the time of Alexander the Great or before that, these people had lived up there and had no real contact with anybody and nobody really cared that they were there because nobody even wanted their land. It was virtually unusable way up there in the mountains, um, so high above sea level that it was cold most of the year and they were just subsistence farmers, meaning that they just lived by just barely farming enough food to survive and they were pagans they were idolaters they were their their village was full of idols as was the custom all through those mountains and these idolaters were then full of witchcraft and all the things that go along with idolatry nakedness and perversion although when it gets really cold it's a phenomena that the most bold nudists generally find something to wear when it gets cold enough how about that in any case, the, these people were up there trying to serve their idols. And as they served their idols, they, the, over the centuries, they developed a technique of idol worship that it would involve the demon possession of their infants. And they would subject their infants to demonic rituals and invite the devils to move in and live inside the spirits, the spiritual innermost heart of their little babies, which is a terrible and a horrifying ordeal, which resulted in generation after generation after generation of total demonic slavery. These people lived in such close communion with the devils that they knew them better than a lot of people would give them credit. You know, most American psychiatrists won't really um, get into the whole spirit world. They think that everything can be explained with the human mind, and that's just the, the pit of ignorance that they're in. It's one of the most ignorant fields in the world today is psychiatry because they try to explain the spirit world with physical things And you can discern pretty easily if you know anything about the spirit world that they are absolutely ignorant and tools of the devil. And usually they have absolutely no help for mankind. 
most of their help ends up being hindrance. Now, the, here it's this, this pagan village was here, and they had a child one year. This little baby boy was born. And when he was born, the village gathered as their custom was to infest this child with devils, and it didn't work. For some reason, it didn't work. And they tried again, and they tried again, and they tried again. And for some reason, this little boy could never be occupied, inhabited, possessed by devils. And they couldn't figure out why. And they felt so sorry for that little boy because he wasn't be able to keep up with them in the spiritual exercises that they would do. He would still go with them to their seances and everything, but and they would take him with him. And he would try. He really tried his hardest to get a devil because that's what mommy and daddy did and that's what his grandparents did and that's what he'd always been taught and that's what he wanted because he wasn't normal. He was a weirdo. He couldn't get a devil. Isn't that sad? And he was on the outside of the community looking in because though they tolerated his existence, he was a weirdo. The rest of them were demon-possessed and they knew it. And he wasn't, and they knew it, and he was the weirdo. Well, as they went, as they carried on, something strange happened. They had a change in the doctrine of devils that they worshipped. One day, while they were having a seance, they would all get together, and they'd start beating on their drums and dancing and swaying their bodies together, which is very recognizable if you'll attend church in the average American church. You'll see the average American idolatrous seance going on while they ask the devil to fill them in the name of Jesus, and that's uh, what was going on on here only without the name of Jesus for a day because here in that village that day up high in the mountains as the seance began uh, and this is something I have witnessed personally with my eyes I have seen people go into demonic trances and I'm not bragging about that that doesn't make me a super person by any stretch of the imagination it's not something I wanted to see or that I ever want to see again but I have seen it, and it is real. And it, what happens is people that allow the devil to control them lose control of their own consciousness and become a momentary, albeit limited, tool for the devil to speak through or use. Now, uh, these, these people went into a demonic trance as a tribe, and they would do this together as a village. And what would happen is they would, their heads would throw back, and they would start all speaking in unison in the midst of their dance. While still dancing, they would all start speaking in unison words from the devil. How would they all know what the devil was saying at the same time? This was not pre-planned, and it's proven here by the fact that this devil all was telling them things they had never heard before. Things that their forefathers had never heard before they moved to the Himalayan mountains. I still have a copy of this story. I've got, I can verify this story um, for those that are interested in and tell you where to get it. I'd have to dig up the book I have it in and fi um, find the page number for you. But this is a verified story. Now, these people would throw their heads back and begin to all speak in unison words that they had never heard before coming out of their throats in strange voices. And this day, the words that came out of their throats from the devils were, I am Jesus. My name is Jesus, and you must worship me alone. There's only one God, and I'm the one God. And that devil went on and began to quote Bible. These people had never seen a Bible. They never heard about a Bible. They never heard about Jesus Christ. But here, this devil told them some of the story of Jesus. Over the next several years, the devil continued to give them scriptures 
the scriptures were mostly accurate. There were only some minor changes. They'd pass for Bibles in most churches in America today. Modern American Christianity would be perfectly content to use one of these demonic translations of the Bible because it was probably more accurate than the ones that they have in their pews today. But in any case... This devil would give them scriptures. He gave them all of the Ten Commandments. He gave them whole portions of the Levitical law. He gave them portions of the New Testament. And they would laboriously copy out these texts that this devil was telling them and write them down so that they could study them. And they were studying what they came to understand was the Word of God. What the devil told them was the Word of God. And this is all verified when the missionaries finally found this place. They found a place that had a copy of parts of the Bible that had never had access to the outside world where they could get it. And they found a village of idolaters worshiping their idols and having seances in the name of Jesus Christ. Now this should creep you out like it creeped me out and like it still creeps me out to even tell you this story. These people, as they had, as they continued to serve their dumb idols and serve what they thought was Jesus Christ, one day they got a message from their Jesus. And their Jesus told them, I'm coming back soon. Sound familiar? He said, I'm coming back soon. And he told them, you need to go up on the mountain and sit there and wait for me to come and get you because I'm coming. It just so happened to be their harvest time. And they grabbed some clothes cloaks and some furs and some skins or whatever they had to keep themselves warm in the frigid high altitudes and they scaled the mountainside to the peak and they sat there for a week and they sat there for another week and they sat there until finally out of supplies and hungry and cold and tired and disillusioned and wondering what on earth had happened they crawled back down the mountain when they got back to their village, their harvest had either spoiled or been eaten by animals, and they went the rest of the winter with barely enough food to scrape together to even survive. And nearly the whole village was the whole village nearly starved to death that winter. And this went on, and similar events started happening. And their Jesus, who they worshipped as Jesus, who they thought was Jesus, from the word that they thought was the word of God, was betraying them to be killed, and they didn't know what was going on or why this was happening. By the way, America, you're in for it. It's coming. Because you've got another Jesus. You missed the right Jesus, America. And you've got another Bible, and you've got another gospel, and you've got another Jesus, and your Jesus is about to betray you to the wolves. Because that's what those false Jesuses do. The Jesus himself said there will be many Christs. Do you hear me? He said, if you hear one say, lo, here is Christ or there is Christ, believe him not, he said. But these people didn't have that part of the Bible. It got edited for them. The devil loves to edit the Bible. The Bible is the devil's favorite book. Did you guys know that? The Bible has power. The devil likes power, but he likes to twist it to get you to go the wrong way. That's the devil's main game. He loves the Bible. He just doesn't love the whole Bible. He doesn't love the perfectly preserved word of God. He doesn't love the immaculate, inspired, infallible, preserved word of God. He likes the new versions and the edited versions. <coughs> He's always been in that business, and he always will be till God casts him in the lake of fire. Now, 
Here these these people are in a state where they're of deep consternation and fear because now what they had been learning is being used against them and they don't know what to do because they are a spiritual people. And they are used to following the leading of spirit beings, but the spirit beings are betraying them and they don't know what to do. In the meantime, the missionaries of the um, China Inland Mission had gotten closer and closer and closer to that region of mountains. And down a deep, deep, sharp, steep valley and up the other side and across was a village that had contact with that tribe. And for the first time in thousands of years, that village was reached by outside people and that village knew about another village over the mountain pass that they could only get access to a couple times a year because almost the entire year long the mountain pass would be covered in snow and have constant blizzards going across it back and forth across it so it was nearly impassable but every now and then they could get somebody through to them and they could get somebody through and they would trade a couple things every now and then every year And so this village that had been, had heard about these, um, um, China Inland Mission missionaries, they crossed the deep ravine and up to the other side and started to talk to the missionaries. And one day they showed up with a little boy. And that little boy was from the village on the other side of the pass, the village we've been talking about today. This was the little boy that could not get devils in his heart as much as he tried. And as he had seen his people were dying and being destroyed by these devils, one day he said, I've got to do something about this. And he tried to cross the mountain pass. But when he tried to cross it, no sooner did he climb up, but his friends that tried to cross it with him became immediately terrified by the devils that were in them, which would scream in their ears and in their hearts, and they could not take another step, and they risked being frozen to death, and so they had to turn back. And this little boy would keep trying, and he tried a couple times, nearly froze to death a couple times. And then one day, he cried out to God in the name of Jesus, the only name he knew for God. And he said, God, I've got to get some help. I've got to find somebody that can tell my people what's going on. We need to know more of your book. We need to know the truth about you. Help me, God, in Jesus' name. He'd never been told about Jesus. And here he went up over the pass and the blizzard started to build up. And he kept going forward and he said, God, if I die going across this pass, I've got to find the truth. And all of a sudden ahead of him, he heard singing in his own language. And he looked ahead and he could see just the basic outline of a person up ahead of him in the blizzard. And he said, hello. And he tried to get to that man. And every step he took, the man would take a step. And he kept following and chasing after that man. And all of a sudden he came out through the blizzard on the other side of the pass. And there were footsteps disappearing in the blizzard in front of him and no man to be seen anywhere. He went down that mountain pass, went to the village, and he told them what was going on. He said, my people are going to starve to death. I need help. And those people said, across the valley, on the other mountain over there, there are some new strange people. They have different color to their skin. They have a different kind of talk. And they carry a book that they say is the book of God. 
And that little boy said, I must go. I must talk to them. And they went down the deep, steep valley across the treacherous um, river and up the slippery slopes of those Himalayan mountains. And they got to the village and in walked this little boy and told his story to missionaries whose minds just about blew when they heard what that boy had to say. The boy had memorized whole passages of Scripture that were accurate, some of them word for word. He could quote to them the Ten Commandments. Now, all of this had to be done through laborious interpretation. The boy speaking to that village, that village speaking to um, the missionaries in this village, and them working out the translations of what people said. But the But the missionaries agreed to go and they agreed to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ and bring the book of God to the village and they set out to go. But they told the boy, it's going to take us a couple months to get everything in readiness to be able to make the journey. And the boy went back to tell his village that people were coming from another land with the full book of God, with the whole thing. And that they would have the answers to the questions and to what was happening and why they were failing to please Jesus. Because they thought they were pleasing Jesus and every time they tried to please him, it seemed like he was killing them. And he was, because he wasn't the real Jesus. And the boy told them they have the book of God that tells us about Jesus. And a couple months later, the missionaries went across and blizzards stopped them multiple times. But finally, they and, and much prayer and supplication and much labor, the storm broke. And they crossed the mountain pass and descended into a valley where they saw with their own eyes fragments of the word of God written by devil worshipers who'd received it during demonic seances. And they saw with their own eyes the people doing their demonic dances. And they heard with their own ears the voice of the devil saying he was Jesus coming out of those people. And they labored in that place. And they prayed and they fasted. And they um, translated. And they learned the language and they preached Jesus Christ. And that village turned to the real Jesus Christ through faith in God's word. And the devils were driven out of the village. And those people came to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The humanists out here will tell you that those pagans were better off before white people came to see them. Those stinking snake and snakes, vipers, liars. <coughs> the humanists will tell you that book is just passed on by man. This is a spiritual book. This is the kind of service, though. That we need to look at today. Those people served their idols. They served their devils. They waited on their devils. Every day their life was consumed with one purpose. And that was to know their devils better. It was to serve their devils in a way that was more acceptable to their devils. It was to do whatever it took to please their devils. The Thessalonican church was once an idolatrous church, and the Bible says here that they turned to God from, they turned from their idols to the living God. And this village between Burma and China turned from their idols to serve the living God. Psalm 123, unto thee lift I up mine eyes, O thou that dwellest in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look unto the hand of their masters, and as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress, 
So our eyes wait upon the Lord our God until that he have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us, for we are exceedingly filled with contempt and with this, um, our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorning of those that are at ease and with the contempt of the proud. These people waited upon their devils. A waiter waits upon the customer. A waiter at a restaurant will stand there and say, do you need something to drink? Do you need something to eat? Oh, did you spill something? I'll clean it up. Here's your bill. Would you like me to take care of that? Can you get, if you give me the money, I'll take it up and get it all paid for for you so you don't even have to get up and do it. Do you need more of this? Do you need more of that? Do you need anything else? Can I help you at all? How good was your food? Did you like it? They're not standing there bored whenever they have a full house to wait upon. And the idea that God is giving us here to wait upon his son from heaven. Remember how those Burmese, Chinese um, border tribe, how that border tribe waited upon the son, they thought, from heaven. Do you remember that? They left their crops. They left their harvest. They went up on the mountain and sat there staring up at the heavens. That's not what God's asking you to do today. Do you hear me? That's devilish. God has something else in mind whenever he says to wait from his son from heaven. Did you know, by the way, that the animals wait on God? Go to Psalm 104 real quick. Psalm 104. We could read this whole thing and and it would apply, but we're just going to focus in on um, verse 26 and 7. There go the ships. There is that Leviathan whom thou hast made to play there. And he's talked about all these animals, the birds in verse 17 and et cetera, et cetera, cattle in verse 14. And verse 27 says, these wait all upon thee that thou mayest give them their meat in due season. The animals are currently standing and waiting for the Lord. I want you to think about that for a second. The Bible says all of creation groaneth and travaileth, waiting for the expectation of the sons of God. The creation of God is waiting. Now, when you look out your window and you see the birds waiting, what are they doing while they wait? Are they sitting there on the fence staring at the sky? What are they doing? They gather sticks, they build a nest, they have young, they brood over their young, they hatch their young, they feed their young, they train their young, their young fly off, they go and they find food, and they fly around, they migrate if they're migratory, and they come back the next spring to do it all over again. The ants wait upon God, and while they wait, what are they doing? They march along in their rank and their file with no ruler over them, serving one another, gathering food, gathering stones and clearing the rubble, making a way for a bigger nest, feeding their young, organizing themselves, um, perhaps setting up food for the harvest. There's an ant that actually will plant seeds and harvest the seeds and put the seeds in its storage bins that it's made under the earth. And then in the summer, it will bring up seeds that it saved all winter for planting and plant them again. And when they grow up, they'll climb up the plant stalk, pick the grains of wheat, and go back in their hole and store them for the next year. How about that? These animals are waiting upon God. Now, the humanist, the humanist says that the animals are a product of random chance. They they just happen to appear out of nowhere over a series of strange mutations that defy all the laws of science. 
Because science says that matter can neither be created nor destroyed. Science says that everything tends toward disorder, known as the laws of that deal with entropy. Everything is tending towards disorder. Everything is going to a place of neutrality, of equilibrium, where it is no longer gaining information. It is no longer um, gaining energy. It is losing energy. Our solar system, everything around us is constantly losing energy. Science defies everything that evolution and the religion of humanism are based upon evolution and humanism are logical are logical philosophies of idolaters who have set up the human body and the human mind as their idol and they worship and serve their own bellies instead of god That's where this stuff came from. Evolution has absolutely no scientific basis. It cannot and will not ever be substantiated by science. It's all smoke and mirrors. And if you understood science at all, you would not be deceived by evolution. There is not one true scientist who is an evolutionist. Not one. They're all of them religious priests. That's what they are. And they are teaching their dogma. They are teaching their false doctrines of devils. They're teaching their idolatrous lies. And the whole thing is as stupid and stupider than the flat earth and all the other stuff that the Roman Catholic Church came up whenever they controlled science with their religion. It's just as stupid. This stuff is stupid. Do you hear me? You do not need to study how to refute evolution. Just learn your Bible and learn science. If you know science and you know how to reason and you know your Bible, you cannot believe evolution. It's absolutely inconceivable and idiotic and you will never fall for it if you know science and you know your Bible. Science destroys evolution every time science is brought into the discussion. Now... These people say they worship science, but they don't. And these people that they don't even see, here is God setting up all these animals who are waiting on him. Did you know that the evolutionist is more foolish than a pig? Because a pig is waiting on God. Do you hear me today? A dog is waiting on God. An an ant is waiting on God. The fish in the sea wait on God. And the evolutionists and the humanists, they serve their own selves. They're more foolish than a, than a bluegill. Do you hear me? They've missed it. They've missed the whole thing. Now, God tells us that the Thessalonican church turned from idols to serve the living God and to wait for his son from heaven. If you are a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you will turn from your idols. You cannot be an idolater and a servant of the Most High God. The two things do not mix. And God said to those religious Jews that would mix their idolatry, they would go worship at their altars and their high places, and then they would come into the temple. God said, said enough with your sacrifices away with it loose paraphrase paraphrase root um, read isaiah chapter one so we are to wait on the lord from heaven and we are to wait psalm 123 as someone who waits upon his master behold as the eyes of servants look under the hand of their masters now how many servants do you think let's say you go out young man and get a new job and you're working at a uh, milk bottling factory and so you look over at the foreman and you know he's your boss and you say i'm gonna wait on my foreman and you stand there staring at him and he says go and get busy and you stand there staring at him and he says here's the milk bottling you start moving these milk bottles over and fill them up with milk and you say yes sir and you stand there staring at him but you don't fill the milk bottles are you going to keep your job absolutely not waiting on the lord involves 
active seeking and obeying of God's will. Now, um, we can see this in 1 Thessalonians. We're going to look at it real quick. Go back to 1 Thessalonians. We are nearly done today. This is more of a teaching um, than a preaching, and that's okay. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 2. But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. Number one, when we wait, what do we do while we wait for his son from heaven? Number one, we speak the word of God boldly. We speak the word of God in the face of contention. We don't give up and we don't quit. Number two, Thessalonians 2, 9. First, we speak the word of God. Second, um, for you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. That labor and travail is the labor and travail of life. That means get up in the morning, put your pants on, young man, get yourself dressed for the day, young lady, and get out and get busy and do something with your time to advance the cause of Christ. Now, that might mean planting a garden, in a row. It might mean going and changing tires at the tire shop all day so that you have money to buy groceries so that you can live another day so that you can serve Jesus Christ. Waiting on God is the essence of the believer's life. And the believer's life then, what are we doing on this world? What do we do? We're waiting on the Lord. And what do we do while we wait? We stay busy in the work, speaking the word of God and laboring and travailing for the gospel. Keep working and don't quit. Not everybody's a preacher. Sometimes God will raise up a preacher and often he'll raise up a preacher for a whole group of people. And you might have 40 people. You might have 40 families that depend on that preacher to go to God and get uh, messages out of the word of God and preach the word of God. And that is his labor. That's his travail. But their labor and travail might be dairy farming. Do you hear me? That's all part of it. We've got to keep laboring, keep travailing. Now, the humanist wants you to have a good time. The humanist's view of the world, the idolatrous humanist view of the world is pleasure-seeking. They love pleasure, lovers of pleasure rather than God. And they think that your life is all about pleasure. So they want to do social programs and communism and all this stuff with the chief goal, stated goal, of being seeking after pleasure and loving pleasure. God gives us the opportunity to speak his word, to labor, and travail to follow Jesus. Look at verse 14. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. So they followed Jesus and they followed him into suffering, which is our fourth um, thing to do while we wait. Number chapter 3, verse 3 that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. Look at verse 4. For verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and ye know. Look at verse 8. For now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. So while we wait on his son from heaven, we speak the word of God, we labor and travail, often working with our hands, and we keep on working, and we don't quit, and we follow Jesus, and we stand fast, and we suffer for Christ and chapter 4 verse 2 shows us that we keep his commandments it says for you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus and we could go into a lot more detail on that but we won't for sake of time we'll see that as we study it out 
The Christian's life is a life of waiting on the Lord Jesus Christ. As those demon worshipers, devil worshipers up in the mountains spent their lifetime waiting on their devils, doing whatever they could to please their devils, we are to do so for Christ, for his son from heaven. Now, how do you know the difference between the real Jesus and the false Jesus? That's right here in our text. The false Jesus has taken our churches by storm in America. And they go there and have their little um, devil seances and they beat their devil drums and they do their devil dances and they shut the lights off and they throw their heads back and they roll their eyes back and they let ungodly things come out of their mouths and they do it in the name of Jesus Christ. But you don't need to be fooled by that stuff. Let them be fooled if that's what they choose to do. Warn them and move on and stay out of that stuff. It's not of God. Every Jesus that says he's Jesus ain't Jesus. That's obvious. Jesus said, many will come in my name and deceive many. Don't follow everybody that says he's Jesus. How do you know Jesus? First, um, we have here our occupation to wait on his son from heaven. Secondly, we have identification. How do you know the right Jesus to make sure you're waiting on the right Jesus? How do you know? Huh? The Bible, that is absolutely right. Um, How do you know the right Jesus? Let's look at it here. Whom he raised from the dead. Whom he raised from the dead. The resurrection, and that is through scripture that we know of the resurrection, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ is how you identify the right Jesus. And what do you mean by that? I wasn't there to see the resurrection. No, but you are a sinner. And the right Jesus will resurrect you from your sins to live and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. The true Jesus has power over your sins. Now, I'm not talking about power over that one nasty habit that you think is culturally unacceptable, like your drug habit or your smoking. I'm talking about delivering you from your sins, from your pride, from your arrogance, from your wickedness, from your adultery, from your fornication. God will deliver you. He is able to deliver you. And that's the motivation which comes up here in the end of this verse. To wait from his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. This is our motivation. There is a wrath of God to come. But Jesus did not come into this world to condemn the world. Listen to me today. The false Jesuses will get you to work to appease them today. The true Jesus worked to appease the wrath of God himself and offers you deliverance and salvation today. And then if you really love that Jesus, you wait on that son of God from heaven. You wait on him every day. While you wait, you get up, you brush your teeth, you comb your hair, you put on clean clothes, you go to work at your school, you go to work at your job, you go to work on whatever project is in front of you and you do all things as unto the Lord and you wait for his son from heaven. Waiting on Jesus is not some kind of demonic devilish ritual. Waiting on Jesus is living your life in the light of eternity eternity looking for the blessed hope the coming of Jesus Christ and modeling every day after Christ living every day in expectation of the soon coming of the Lord not wasting your time your attention and your resources on the world and the love of the world but spending all your time all your attention and all your resources on the advancement of the kingdom of heaven the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're not a preacher, find one that you can back up and labor with him for Christ. 
co-laborers together, but get the gospel of Jesus Christ further. This is the whole message today. I hope it helped you today. Not every Jesus is a Jesus. That's a heavy story, isn't it? That's a heavy story, isn't it? But isn't it wonderful how God delivered those people from their devils? Isn't that wonderful? Listen, you cannot trust your experiences. You cannot trust your feelings. You cannot trust the voices that you hear. Okay, No matter how spiritual it is and how much tingly you get from it, you've got to have a biblical foundation, a biblical basis. Like the boy said just a while ago, you the only way to identify the Lord Jesus Christ is through the Word of God. And you need the Word of God. You need all the Word of God. And you better study it like crazy. Study to show thyself approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Father, in Jesus' name, help us to wait for your Son from heaven. Help us not to be deceived. Help us not to be sidelined. Lord, Show us if we've allowed idols to begin to creep into our life, idols to take a higher degree of attention, um, to spend our resources and our time, Lord God, and to take time away from your Son, Jesus Christ. Forgive us, Lord, if this be our plight. Have mercy on us, O God, and turn us from our sin and our idolatry. Lord, I pray for this nation that you would loose us from the devil's grip and the idolatry that has has filled our church houses, Father God, and our education centers and our homes across this land. Loose us, Lord, from these devils and the idols that we serve in this land. Have mercy on us, O God, in Jesus' name and for Christ's sake. Amen.